everybody. Welcome to the film review. Good morning. This is uh, this is an episode that our hand was kind of forced on. Mm-hmm. I saw I saw Moonlight, which means that we've both seen Moonlight now. Yeah, and we really have to talk about this episode. We really have to talk about this, and we can't give it a mini-sode. We're going to give this one a full episode for so many reasons. First of all, I, I want to get this out of the way right now. This is actually the first time we've done a movie with a gay protagonist, period. Um, you can make some arguments for dear white people, but Lionel's really the number, the, uh, he's really the second protagonist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm going to also warn people that they're going to hear noises in the background. <laughs> right on That's, cue. Yeah. You're going to hear noises in the background. Lola is here with me and I'm just letting her sit with me because it's fun. Um, this is our first time to do a movie that is explicitly gay themed. And don't let anybody straightwash this movie. I've heard even the bl- the Blu-ray box cover tries to straightwash this movie. Let's be as clear as we can. This is a movie about about homosexuality. Period. That's what it's about. There can be no misinterpretations. That is it. Yeah, that's what this movie is. This is a this is a very serious, very serious film. This is a, a, an important movie. This is, we're going back to another black themed film. You know why we're doing so many movies from diverse artists right now? Because they're awesome. Because they're awesome, yes. And it kind of needs to be done, really. It does need to be done. Someone needs to be covering these movies. Right now, diverse cinema is where you're finding some really interesting voices. Mm-hmm. You know, you're finding some really amazing voices. Uh, and and we, we're going to be covering more as the year goes on. We've always wanted to be. And now we're really in this position but let's just go on ahead and acknowledge the big reason that we're covering this movie, why this movie came to our attention. Now, I was going to watch this movie no matter what because I'd heard it was fantastic. And so many of my friends had said, oh, my God, this movie made me cry. It made me feel something. But let's just get the big elephant out of the room, in the room, out of the way so that we can deal with it now. It won Best Picture. <laughs> it won Best Picture. Ladies and gentlemen, this is one of the times the Academy got it dead right. And in order to get it dead right, they had to get it absolutely wrong. <laughs> we all know what happened. We all know what happened. La La Land was announced as the winner. Everybody shrugged. I actually got off Twitter because the reaction was so hot. <laughs> like, and keep in mind, it got so hot so fast that I got off Twitter because I was like, I don't want to see the takes. And, you know, I got up from my computer. I was about to go run downstairs to uh, take something to my wife's desk. That I need to take to her because we work in the same building. Um, I was at work during the Oscars, to be clear. And then all of a sudden, there was chaos because it turns out Moonlight actually won. What happened, of course, was, as we all know, they gave him the wrong envelope. And it's actually sad. I feel bad for Warren Beatty because if you go back and watch it, he looks confused. He does. He even even explains on stage. uh, He's like, okay, here's what happened. They handed me the thing for Best Actress. And uh, so I saw Emma Stone's name, and uh, that's why I was kept looking at it like, what the hell? <laughs> I actually feel bad because for a second I was like, oh, because when I was in the room watching the Oscars with my coworkers, because uh-huh. we had them on, we you know we have every newsworthy event on. Let's be clear. I was like, oh, Beatty looks bad. He looks bad. And then you go back and you realize, oh, there's a really good reason he looks bad. It's not because he was unaware. It's because he was too aware. Right. So. Man, mega props to Warren Beatty. Apparently, if you turn up the sound mm-hmm. on that clip, you can even hear him saying, this says Emma Stone. 
Oh. Yeah. He knew something was up. So this, of course, has forever – it's forever going to market that this movie won Best Picture with an asterisk. Mm-hmm. Here's our goal. We're going to erase that asterisk today on this cast. That's our goal is to get the asterisk erased. Yes. So I'm, gonna, so I'm just going to start off by saying right now, my God, this might be one of the greatest decisions the Academy has ever made. This movie is everything the Academy has gone wrong for all these years. They finally got it right. And we want to praise the fact that they got it right. The movie it didn't just win Best Picture. It won Best uh, Adapted Screenplay for Terrell Alvin uh, – let's see – I believe it's Terrell Alvin Craney is the, is the writer's name of the unproduced play that it's based on. And Barry Jenkins, who wrote the script, it won Best Supporting Actor for Mahershala Ali. And let me just take a moment right now to say to Jimmy Kimmel, who made that joke about how unpronounceable people's names are. Did you notice how easy it was for me to just say that name? Yeah. <laughs> it fl- Honestly, Mahershala just flows off the tongue. It, it, that is, it's a musical name. And my, do I have so much to say about his performance, which we will get to. I don't think it won any of the other technical awards. Um, it was nominated for quite a few, which is interesting because you don't often see that on very low-budget films. This is the lowest-budgeted film ever to win Best Picture, uh, by a pretty good margin, too. Was it like eight, uh, no, five million? One, no, way less, 1.5. Oh, yeah, that's right. This movie was $1.5 million budget. Uh, it's grossed about $20 million. I, I was just editing the uh, uh, Clone Wars cast last night, and I remember saying that was $8 million. Yeah. Which, by the way, does make that... It does have to be stressed. That movie did do pretty well. Um, yeah. By the way, I've heard fantastic things about the Rebels finale, so oh, I need to get on watching that. Um, I've heard just the best on that. Um, but anyway, getting to this movie, $1.5 million $20 million, that's not an epic return on your investment, but that's a, you know, so to speak, as in, you know, because when you factor in marketing and all that, but it didn't even have a very big marketing budget or a very big distribution budget because it was, uh, A24 put it out, uh, their first Best Picture winner. Yeah. Oh, God, I bet they're thrilled. Uh, my, oh, yeah. I just remember uh, first hearing of it when... Uh, my dad told me, hey, there's this film that's out that's really supposed to be good. It's called Moonlight. Uh, it's not playing in very many theaters. We should uh, try to catch it. We never did. But uh... Interestingly enough, it was playing at the theater around the corner from my house uh, on the day that I wound up renting it from Redbox. Because it it is, of course, it went on Redbox on February 28th. Um, which I watched it the morning it hit Redbox. Um, I went, I drove straight there, watched it, and I look. Oh, oh, I've just. I'm trying to hold back on getting to my opinions, but I'm gonna have a lot to say in terms of my opinion on this movie. Um, again, low budget, heavy return on investment. You know, maybe not Get Out level, but not bad. How how well is Get Out doing, by the way? I saw that yesterday. Four million dollar budget. 100 and I think it's up to 130 uh, worldwide gross. Pretty good for 4 million. I mean, it's not like it's a... Honestly, that's actually that's actually a bigger return on investment than Moonlight has given so far. So Now, much bigger ad buy, of course, but yeah. do not cross Jason Bloom. That's a lesson Hollywood really needs to learn. Oh, yes. Definitely, definitely a very, uh, very low-budget film. 
but a very big reward for for the for the studio. Um, first gay theme movie ever to win Best Picture, and of course we have to acknowledge that this comes in the aftermath of Oscars. So why? Yes, I saw. So I saw so many uh, memes on that after the the mess up happened. Uh, it's like the winner is, and then an asterisk. Uh, Oscars remember Oscar so white. Uh, Moonlight. Yeah, let's. I want to make this clear just right off the start as we leave the Oscar subject, because I really do want to move past it, because as we've established, I do not believe the Oscars are an indicator of quality, except that this one time they really did get it right. I don't believe Moonlight won Best Picture because they felt the need to be politically correct. Right. I believe Moonlight won Best Picture because I believe that's the one that hit them in their heart. I believe that Damien Chazelle got Best Director kind of as a runner-up prize mm-hmm. and because there was kind of that attitude of, well, his film was harder to direct. Musicals are harder to direct. I, I, I concede that. And so I, I'm, I'm okay with that being the split. The right film won here. Yes. So hands down, the right film won. And I really believe it won because it affected voters. They remembered this movie. It's been now about a month since I've watched the movie. It hit me very vividly. And I'm going to warn people right off the bat, we're probably going to go into full spoilers on it. Yeah. But uh, we're not actually spoiling anything about this movie. That's the bizarre thing. Yeah. it's You have to experience it. This is an experiential movie. This is a movie that you have to go through. You have to take this ride. Um, you have to go through it. You have to go with these characters on this walk because otherwise it isn't you just have to and that's how this movie works Uh, a little bit of background on the film it's based on a play Uh, it's based on a play that was not actually produced the plan of the original play that the uh, that uh, craney had was that it was going to be three stories told simultaneously about three men uh, a child little a school-age kid chiron and a uh, drug dealer named Black. And his story was going to be these three stories told simultaneously, cutting between them in a play. Hmm. And eventually you would find out that all three are the same person at different phases in their life. I see. But he made the decision to, uh, rather than telling it in his plan, which actually seems more cinematic, if anything else, uh, his plan was, no, I want to tell this as... In chronology, which ironically, I really do feel like actually makes the movie feel more like a play than the original plan was. Yeah, uh, that's which I think is interesting to me. I think his structure is because the movie is explicitly cut into three acts. I think it works better like that. Otherwise, it you know, this this is such an atmospheric movie like doing that would have just kind of complicated it more than it needed to be. Yeah, you really need the time to soak up all three portions of the story, to go into all three sections. And all three sections are so atmospheric. It is such a, it is a movie that you breathe in. Mm -hmm. It is a movie that you just experience, that you live in. And the three sections work. Yeah. It's important to stress that uh, the way that the story follows a uh, young man through three periods of his life, um, he goes by different names in, in all three periods, um, and he's played by three different actors. Good matches, by the way. 
excellent matches. You totally believe this is the same person at all three periods. Um, it should be noted, too, that the movie was shot on an unbelievably rushed schedule. Hmm. For example, uh, Naomi Harris, who plays his mother, shot for three days. Wow. Mm-hmm. She thought she shot for three days. She got an Oscar nomination. <laughs> wow. The three actors that play him are um, Alex Hibbert plays him during the period where he's called little Ashton Sanders plays him during the middle section where he is teenager. And then um, Travante Rhodes plays him during the adult section. So that's three actors, three different periods. Uh, the rest of the actors, there are three actors that play uh, Kevin as well. Um, of course. And then uh, the other roles are played by the same actors the whole way through, which really makes Harrison's performance extremely exceptional, in my opinion. Yeah. But yeah, so the movie, and it's worth knowing, the movie doesn't ever really give you a sense of, oh, time has shifted in terms of details around you. It's not a period piece. All three of these moments could be happening at the same time, chronal, you know, time-wise. And I, uh, the movie is set in uh, the Liberty City neighborhood of uh, it's uh, Florida. I, I I don't know what specific city it is. I Liberty Liberty City is an actual city name. Yeah, let me check. That's interesting. It's the only thing that really uh, well it didn't take me out of it, but it's just like huh, Grand Theft Auto. Well, it's Liberty Square is the name of it. Liberty Square in Liberty City, Miami is where it is. So yeah, now keep in mind Liberty City is supposed to be Miami hmm. in the first place. If you stop to think about it, I, I believe that was always the plan was Liberty City was always supposed to be Miami. But it's set in that neighborhood. Uh, both McCraney, who wrote the script, or who wrote the play, and Jenkins are from that area. And their intention was to capture it, to get it, to give you a sense of where this place was. They really, and it was shot there, of course. So the intention was to give you a sense of, okay, that's where this is. That atmosphere. Um, mm -hmm. And man, does the movie nailed that to an absolute T. As I said, the movie is in three sections. So let's take them section by section, because that's really easy to do. It really makes our job easy, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> and really, I think that's the appropriate way to do it, because all three sections are almost their own movie. Mm -hmm. They are, yeah. They could stand alone. <clears throat> they, they really could stand alone. The first section deals with Chiron is he's a child. His uh, mother is a drug addict who uh, is strongly implied as hoarding herself out for uh, crack money. Very strongly implied. It's worth noting Naomi Harris never who is uh, she's British, I believe. Hmm. Well, yeah, she has to be British because think about the other think about the role that she's uh, also known for. She plays Money Penny in the Bond movies. Oh, does she? Yes, she does. Oh my god, yes, she does. Yeah. Well, okay, they didn't reveal that until the end of that didn't they didn't reveal that until the end of Skyfall, but still, yeah, yeah. she's money penny in the uh, new Bond movies. Um, she never wanted to play a drug addict, but it was but it, it was really stressed to her. We want you to play something that's different, that's getting at the reality of these, and she's very much based on women that these men have known, and I believe that because God Harris is amazing in this movie. She is. This is not your standard, oh, abusive drug addict. Right. But she is an abusive woman. She is abusive. She is addicted to drugs. She really could care very less about her son. So he winds up falling under the sway of the neighborhood drug dealer. Yeah. In most movies, this would be a tragedy. In most movies, this would be a, oh, this is a bad thing that he has fallen under 
the uh, guidance of Juan, played by Mahershala Ali, in his Oscar-winning turn. Yeah. Does he show up in, after the first segment no. at all? No, he does not. I didn't think so. No, he does not. He is explicitly out of the movie after this segment. Which, by the way, that seems to be his thing. If you watch Luke Cage, he's out of it at the halfway mark. Which is also when I quit watching, because to me, I just wasn't as interested after he left. But anyway, so what what we wind up finding out, so he's so Juan is the neighborhood drug dealer. And again, in in most movies, and I, I really think it's important to stress movies that are not made by people that understand this world very much. Juan would be played as it would be a bad thing that uh, little has fallen under this man's sway. Yeah, it's treated as a beautiful thing in this movie that he has. And that's because Juan is a good man. Mm-hmm. The movie doesn't judge him for his job. He. He deals drugs, but so what? Right. It doesn't impact his character. It's not stated. The movie doesn't judge him for that. The movie judges him based on the quality of his character. And what we see of him is that he is a very good man. He's shown as kind. He's shown as loving. He's shown as non-judgmental. Which makes that last bit, the end of the first act, uh, really heartbreaking. Yeah. He he's shown as someone who really is he's a good person. He's someone that he's 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 just good. Uh, he's kind of the he's kind of the proxy of uh, how I see it anyway. The proxy of what Sharon yeah becomes at the end of the film. Well, absolutely. He's very much the, the we're going to get to that section when we get to that section because I have some yeah. thoughts on. But it's undeniable that he's an influence. But he's a good man, and Ali is so kind and decent in these sequences. He comes off as such a good person, and he's somebody that he needs. Um, he's non-judgmental, and, and that's good that he's non-judgmental because the movie makes it explicitly clear that even at this young age, he knows he's gay. Right. Yeah, he starts asking him questions about... Yeah, about that. And, and the speech that he gives is just fantastic. What's a faggot? A faggot is a word used to make gay people feel bad. Am I a faggot? No. No. You could be gay, but you gotta let nobody call you no faggot. How do I know? Just do. I think. You know what you know. You gotta know right now. Right. It's beautiful. It's it's loving. At the same time, we also meet his friend Kevin, and they have a scene where they wrestle. Yeah. <laughs> I swear to you, you can stop that movie. You can stop the movie right then and there. And ask everybody that's watched it, so what do you think the subtext of this scene is? Yeah. And every one of them will get what the subtext of the scene is. Yeah. Kevin is the great love of Chiron's life, but he's not going to figure, but that's not going to be figured out for a very long time. Kevin makes a big aggressive show about being the more traditionally masculine figure in comparison. He talks this big game, but the movie never tells you point blank, is it bullshit or not? Right there, there are, it's 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 really it's really because the movie doesn't actually spoon feed you everything. 
it's made pretty clear he's actually bisexual, which is kind of nice to see in a movie like this. We'll get to that in the third act, but we meet these characters. The thing is, what what I'm describing in the plot for the th- first act doesn't do any of it justice. A lot of it is just scenes. A lot of it is just things that wash over us in the first act. It's important to note the movie was shot digitally, but it was color graded to look like three different styles of film. Hmm. Wow. Which which shows because all three sections have their own feeling, their own vibe. But you do really have that 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 that, that you know. Again, I'm I, I'm I'm struggling to describe what happens in this section and make it clear what's so powerful about it because so much of it is just letting all of this wash over you and that's gonna be true for the whole movie yeah how and how do you how do you make uh, a movie where it's uh it is atmospheric but it's also really tight like there's nothing wasted there's not that's the funny thing all right i'm gonna stop right now and say that i read an absolutely atrocious review of this by a site that i'm not gonna list because i don't want to draw hate to them but the guy said that nothing happens in the movie and there's a lot of shots of it and that Tyrone is one of the most – he's one of the most passive protagonists. Well, first of all, a lot happens in this movie. The movie just doesn't spoon-feed you exposition. Right. Se- secondly, he's passive. You're noticing what the movie's <laughs> about. You're not, mm-hmm. you're not insulting the movie. You're noticing what it's about. The movie is about a passive man struggling with that. Mm-hmm. That's what the movie is. So that's the, the first section. That's the, the story there. In the second section, Juan is dead. Right. We find that out almost immediately. Why did he die? We don't know. We don't know. No. We do know that uh, he does have a running uh, relationship with Teresa, though. Played by Janelle Monet, who was actually in two of the Best Picture nominees this year. Because she's a major role in Hidden Figures, too. Oh, wow. Yeah, and... She's real good. She's really good. I, I mean, there isn't a bad performance in the film, but she she sort of comes to play a surrogate mother role to him. Yeah. Uh, and she's really good. It's it's a nice role. Monet is an awesome person. I just want to state that. She's awesome. If you look her up, look her up in interviews, she's awesome. So he has that. Things with his mother are deteriorating worse and worse as she's increasingly aware of the fact that her son is not the person she wants him to be. Right. Uh, she has a long, horrifying speech where she just yells at him for being what he is. She knows what he is. She doesn't like it. At this point, he's – does the movie say explicitly what grade he's in? I mean, it feels like – It feels like sophomore or freshman. Uh, yeah. If, probably freshman. Ninth grade was what I was going at. Yeah. It feels like he's ninth grade high school. He's still around Kevin. They, they still have a friendship. They're still they're in different places. Kevin is liked by the popular people. He isn't. This is where he's actually going by his name. He's not called Little anymore. He's going by his name. And I want to point out, by the way, I looked up what the name means. Because names are not names are not accidental. And that's a name that I knew could not have been accidental. Especially in fiction. Yeah. The name means wounded healer. Hmm. He is a wounded healer which is to say he can't heal his greatest wound. Does that sound like it impacts the plot in any way? Yes. Yeah, quite a bit, doesn't it? Yeah. He is someone whose greatest wound is not at all subtle. He can't accept himself. It feels to me like in this portion we're really seeing him struggle with that. 
He's an outcast at school. No one likes him. He he doesn't belong. It's 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 interesting. Uh, this this section feels much more realistic. Like whereas the first section kind of has that dreamy nostalgic quality, this section feels sharper. This section is where you can notice that it was shot digitally more than anything else. Yeah. By the way, it's interesting how digital photography has changed from when I saw Public Enemies and it took it me out of it, how clearly it was digitally shot, to there are some really obvious digital shots in um, Logan, and they're actually really effective. They're actually really effective. So you have that going for it. So this movie, the, the digital, it's really clear. I, I can't, I don't have it in my hand what the what the uh, three uh, things, what the three. Actually, let me look that up real quick because I think that's important. The first chapter imitated Fuji, which was to enhance the skin tones. The second was to add cyan to it. Mm. Um, and then the third used a modification of Kodak was what they were trying to go for. Nice. So, so that's what they were going for, and and I can see that. I can actually see the cyan note to the movie. In that section, it's actually pretty clear. The third section, again, it feels the least dreamlike of all of them. It really does. It 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 feels very grounded. Um, we see that he's bullied. We see that he, you know his life with his mother is bad. His father figure is gone, and that's where you get. But he still has his uh, friendship with Kevin. And that's what leads to the night on the beach. I'm not going to go into detail about what happens in this scene, but it is an explicit gay love scene. It's it's very well shot. It's very well edited. It's very tastefully done. And it's nice to see, honestly. It's nice to see something like this in a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Because, because we always see these movies, uh, these expressions of heterosexual love, you know, with teenagers. And that's romanticized so much. You never get a romanticization of gay black young men. You just don't see that. If you're going to get a romanticized view of young gay love, it's going to be young white women because filmmakers are perverts. Yeah. <laughs> Something that really struck me about that, uh, it's not always that you get to see a healthy representation of that because, you know, no. how that scene would end in any other movie would be, you know, it happens, and then there are confused feelings about it, and then there will be some, like, get get the fuck out of my sight. Yeah. Instead, just, there, there's yeah. a real sense that these two men, it's a really good, it's a powerful moment for both of yeah. them. It just, the in the last, you know, and in fact, the last moment of that scene is the antithesis of that, which is... I'm sorry. But you gotta be sorry for... Yeah, these two men, it's beautiful. It is a very beautiful sequence, and it really makes you feel something. You you feel like these two men who've been desperate for a connection, mm-hmm. they find it. Unfortunately, this is the second act of the movie, so something bad has to happen. Right. And something bad does happen as Kevin is urged to beat Sharon up as a hazing ritual. And he does. And that scene hurts. That scene hurts so it bad. It does. It does. God, this movie makes you feel so damned much. I cannot say that enough. You're in the sequence and you feel what these characters are going through. And it hurts. It hurts that he has to do it. It hurts because you see the social pressures that are working on Kevin. He has to belong. 
He has to fit in. He has to belong. He has to be the person that everybody wants him to be. But it hurts. There's nothing good about this sequence. No. No, that and that last bit where he he goes in like you you see that long shot of him like going down the hallway. Go, you know, he's on a mission. Goes mm-hmm. into the classroom, straight just picks up what looks like a really hefty wooden chair, and, and just, just smashes the guy that uh, pressured Kevin to do this over the head. And it's like you get. A look at the teacher, and his face just says it all. He was not expecting this. No. Especially from him. You know, you mentioned the shots in this movie. This movie is a lot of long shots. It is. A lot of long shots, a lot of, like, character close-ups, a lot of camera follows. It has that shot shortly after this scene, at the beginning of the third act, where the, one of those where the camera is attached to a car door, and you see the car door slam with the camera on it. Yeah. I mean, this is an exquisitely shot movie. This is a movie that is just wall-to-wall fantastic direction. And the cinematography is so good, too. God, this is such a... I'm going to say this. This movie really does show that big budget does not... isn't required to do something beautiful. No, this... This feels its budget, but in a good way. Because it's, it's a small movie. So it... it feels small. But it, and it's intimate is the thing. This is a small movie in that it's an intimate movie. It doesn't need to be a big budget. In fact, it would be wrong at a budget. It'd be wrong at a budget of five times what it cost. Yeah, it would be. This is a small movie. And it should be stressed, it's deeply autobiographical. Jenkins brought a lot of his own experiences to this movie, too. Hmm. A lot of the characters are very much amalgamations of the two of the writers of uh, Wow. Of of both of their lives. So you have that going for it. But yeah, that that long shot where it just goes to it. And I think the really powerful thing is that he it, it says that he knows why Kevin did what he did. We're, we're not fooled. We're not led to think, okay, well, you know, it's going to drive a rift between them. It's that he knows, he understands, but it still has it has a destructive impact. He winds up then beginning his descent into his third identity. And it's interesting to me, by the way, that it's in this third act that he goes by his birth name. That this is the third act where, he, where, where he's going by his birth name. Because it's, it's almost like we're seeing his true self. We're seeing who he really is. You mean the second act? In, yeah, in the second act. We're seeing who he really is. We're seeing who he, he is at his core. And then we get into the third act because he's treated as a juvenile delinquent for this act of uh, assault. Yeah. And he's, he changes. And in the third act, he is another person altogether. He's going by black. He's a drug dealer in Atlanta. He's completely different, but he makes a return trip back to his old hometown. And that's what the movie winds up depicting in this third act is that trip back. And it's it's fascinating because the character at this point has become a completely different person, not just in terms of shifting actors, but in terms of shifting completely. He's different. As black, he's now extremely muscular, just pure muscle. I mean, he is he's dressing like one, which the movie never stops and says like there's never a lesser movie was stopped and given him a line of, oh, 
you're dressing like one now. You're, you're, you're trying to be one. The movie just assumes that you're paying attention because it's not a long movie. This is only an hour and 45 minutes. I want to point that out. How nice was that, by the way, to watch a movie that was exactly the right length? Yeah. Yeah, it was, wasn't it? Yeah. So, you know, no one ever says, oh, that's what he's doing. But that's obviously what he's doing. He's got a grill in his mouth, which the movie points out the absurdity of. There's the scene where he's at the restaurant and yeah. he has to take it out. And it's like, because it's impossible to eat with. And it, it's, it's, it's almost like for a moment we're seeing the mask drop. But he's playing this character. He goes to see his mother. And if I'm remembering correctly, she's what instigates the trip, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, she, uh, I think she wanted to speak with him. She wants to speak with him. It's kind of strongly implied that it's been a while since they have talked. It's, it's made pretty clear they have not talked in a while. Again, I want to underline that Naomi Harris shot this movie in three days. Yeah. Because she is giving a completely different performance in the third act. Mm-hmm. And, and you realize that she only had a few hours to shoot this sequence. And it is a completely different performance. By this point, she's gotten clean. She's living in a rehab facility by choice at this point. Yeah. I think it says that... Uh... Uh, I think, like, the time between each segment is, like, ten years. That's what it feels like. It, yeah, that that feels right. That feels right, because that would be, like, 16... 6, 16, 26. That feels right. That feels right. That does feel right. And here's another example of what the movie does right. It doesn't tell us why she got clean. There's no... another A melodrama would have given us some big explosion scene, and she got clean for that reason. No, she got clean because she got clean. That's all. That's all we need to know. She's making amends. She hit the po- she hit the point. Um, like uh, maybe not a low point, maybe just a moment of clarity. But she hit the point where she said, "Fuck this." Mm-hmm. And uh, I haven't seen Fences, so for all I know, Viola Davis is fantastic in it. I cannot oh, yeah. imagine she... I mean, because Davis is always fantastic. She's great in Solaris, for the love of God. Which is a great movie, and we will be discussing it very, very, very shortly, finally. Yes. That's the one movie I still have yet to go before. You have, to, you have to watch it. You have to watch it before the cast. Because it is great. So, she's a different person. But, but again, Harris, the performance that she gives, the extremes that she hits... And the realism she brings to it. I can't imagine this wasn't the best performance in that category. From what I've heard, Harris was just, or Davis was just complete category fraud. She's the lead actress in that, but you know, category fraud. Hmm. This is this is a this is a performance that is to be admired. She's so great in it. Um, but again, that scene between them, and it's clear he hasn't forgiven her. Right. And he doesn't forgive her. No, no. He accepts her monologue, like her little explanation, and it is an emotional moment, but it's, you know, he hasn't forgiven her for it, and she doesn't really expect that from him either. I love you, Sharon. I do. I love you, baby. I mean, you ain't gotta love me. Lord knows I did not have love for you when you needed it. I know that. 
to you ain't gotta love me. But you gonna know that I love you. You hear? You hear me, Sharon? I hate you, mama. No, why would she? Why would she? She knows. She's smart. She's realistic. And again, God, Harris is so great in this movie. It, she looks so bedraggled in it. There's really no vanity. There's no vanity from anybody in this movie. But, 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 but I like that. I like that nothing is resolved in their scene. Something may be resolved. And just to be clear, there's nothing resolved in this movie. And then he goes to see Kevin at the restaurant that he's working at. And we find out his story. I just want to point out, it's interesting to me that the movie is just as much Kevin's movie as it is uh, Chiron's. We see his story just as much. We do. We do, don't we? We learn, we, to some degree, we learn even more about his, his life because we get so much about where he's been in the last 10 years. Yeah, in that uh, diner scene, which, oh, oh my God, that's an excellent scene. That's where you can really tell that this movie was a stage play. Yeah, because that is a long, extended dialogue scene, and it is so amazing. Complete with you know he's still running a restaurant while the while they're catching up. So every once in a while he gets up to welcome customers and go take care of this, take care of that, and it's all done in real like. Yeah, I don't think there are really any time jumps there. There's not. It's it's yeah. There's cuts, but there's not any. But it's. It, there's no looks, time cuts. Yeah, it for each little bit of dialogue that happens, it kind of lets you, it lets you take a break and soak it in. Yeah, and you you feel all of the kind of almost awkward tension between these two. These men have feelings for each other, and the movie doesn't. We know that just in this first scene between them. Mm-hmm. And uh, Andre Holland, who plays uh, adult Kevin. Is is magnificent in it. Uh, he's done some of McCraney's plays before, and that was what drew him to doing this one. Uh, he did his scenes in two days, for the record, hmm. if if even that. Um, it was, I mean, that this was a movie because of the short production. Everybody really was in and out of this movie, hmm. just like that. God, it works. It works, and they have that just that wonderful dialogue scene. They're catching up. And you can tell he's, he is seeing through quote-unquote black immediately. He sees through them. Yes. And then there's and then he goes and says, look, I'm going to cook you the chef's special. I'm going to do this. And I've seen it point out that, that the scene of him cooking the meal is almost a parody of seduction. Yeah. It is. Yeah, it is. It is. And God, it works. It is so well cut. It is so well edited. It is so well shot. And we see how much he cares. Even though he's working as a shorter order cook, the movie doesn't tell us he's really good at cooking and he's really passionate about it. It shows – this entire movie is show, not tell. Right. Show me, don't tell me. It really is. This whole movie is just showing you everything you need to know about these characters. We don't have to be told this. And it's nice, isn't it? It is, Yeah. Because because we really we, we learn all of this. Um, it's it's really funny that guys should call this movie like passive like the character because this is not a passive movie 
at all. No, it's a movie that requires you to be active. It's yeah. a movie that assumes – to me, complaining about passivity in a movie is when you should be complaining that a movie is spoon-feeding you everything and giving you everything. This is a movie that wants you to be alert. You can't just watch this and play on your phone. Uh, for the record, when I watch movies at home, I have my phone turned off or across the room. I treat a movie that I watch at home no different than I treat a movie I watch on video. Yeah. I wish I could say it was the same way, but... If if I want to tweet something, I stop the movie to discuss it. But my God, we are so in this world. We care about these characters so much. Mm-hmm. God, this movie is effective in that way. It really is. So it really does that. It really does the trick on getting these characters to a point where we care. I mean, you know... And again, it's all done without exposition. We get exposition for where Kevin has been, but it doesn't feel unnatural. Like the scene where they're catching up, it doesn't feel unnatural that we're getting this exposition. No. Because that's where the because that's what you do when you run into someone you haven't seen in forever. Yeah. And it's it's also uh just put into like it's it's very stark just because uh, presumably the last time they'd seen each other was when Sharon was getting carried off by the police. Yeah. For beating that other guy up. There's real unresolved, you know, there's so much unresolved tension here. Mm-hmm. And the movie builds and builds and builds until finally he they're at they're at Kevin's apartment and they have a conversation and Kevin asks him just the most crucial line. He asks him, Who are you? Right. Who you is, who is you is what is how he puts it. I think. Yeah, yeah. Who, who is you? That's right. And that's the question. Who is you? And that's the entire movie has been building up to someone asking him that question. Mm-hmm. Who is he? Because he's been struggling with it this entire time. He knows who he is on his at, at his core, but he doesn't like it. And he's not okay with it. And he's not comfortable with it. And so he lies. And the movie builds to that one beautiful moment where he just confesses that the night on the beach, that was the only time that he was ever happy. Hmm. That moment where, you know, the moment where they were intimate, that was the only time anybody had ever touched him. And the only time that he'd ever felt anything. And I have to talk about how the movie ends. Because it ends with him confessing that a shot of them holding each other as he cries. And then that's it. And then that's it. This movie ends at the exact moment of catharsis and leaves you to feel it. Yeah. There's no, it doesn't drag it out. It doesn't leave you like you need to go through it anymore. No, when this movie is over and everything has reached its exact point of heightened intensity, it ends. And it leaves you to feel that. Yeah. You know, I've been, you know, it's interesting because I, I complained about dear white people and dope both had that problem where they have a logical end point and then they go on for 10 minutes more. Right. This really doesn't. This really ends at the exact, the exact frame that you need when it's over, it's over. And no, there's no conclu- there's no conclusion about where is everything going to go. It's not all wrapped up in a neat little bow. 
it's left to interpretation. Yeah. Will they be together? Maybe. We don't know. But for right now, like just as before, they're together in this moment. And the movie wants you to celebrate that moment. And that's really, I think, the most fitting way to describe this movie is it is a moment that you want to just be in. As I said, an hour and 45 minutes. That's pretty short for a Best Picture winner. Yeah. That's pretty short for a mainstream movie nowadays. Um, I saw Logan yesterday, and that's two hours and 15 minutes. That's 30 minutes longer than this movie. Yeah. I saw uh, John Wick yesterday, uh, Chapter 2, and it was two hours, two minutes. Yeah. So that's how short this movie is, just to use those as comparisons. Now, I'm not saying that those are long movies in terms of feeling it. Uh, Logan is over in the blink of an eye. We're going to be getting to these movies, by the way, on the next episode. This will be one time that we actually know what the next episode is. That's true. But you get to everything. You feel everything. You feel everything. God, this movie is so intense. I I feel bad because I've tried to describe – because I've given everybody all these descriptions of details. (laughs) It's hard to do, isn't it? (laughs) And And I realize I haven't done this movie a damn bit of justice. The only that's how I've been telling everybody is it's 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 a uh, pure. It is that's, pure. That's, that's the only word I can use to to really accurately describe it. it. Is pure. It's pure cinema. It's funny to me that this is based on a play because this is pure cinema. This is what cinema should be, which is it's experiential. It is a pure experience that we have. We're left to come up with all the details. We're left to fill in all the blanks. But we, but at the same time, we also let the movie wash over us. It's interesting that water is such a constant thematic imagery in this movie because that's what this movie feels like is that we're washed. It washes over us. I mean, I watched it sitting on the floor of my living room in Little Rock, Arkansas, and it was, and I felt transported. Yeah. Well, uh, we actually skipped over something kind of important. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Which is, the last, uh, the way the movie ends, yeah, it's them holding each other, uh, but then there's just one last shot uh, of a, visual, a visualization of uh, the poem that this the title is based on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In the moonlight, even are, are all, all black boys look blue. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a perfect shot. It is a perfect shot. And it, and it, we can go on and on about theorizing what it symbolizes, though I think it's pretty clear it's supposed to symbolize him at his p- purest moment, who he really is. It's the answer to that question, that inside he's still that little boy struggling. Yeah. God, it's gorgeous. And, and it's the one bit of artistic license the movie takes. It's the one bit that the movie takes, because otherwise it does stay so grounded. But it's the one bit of like, I mean, and again, of course, there's also the film stock thing, but but I'm not really, but I'm, but I'm talking about like in terms of artistic devices, it's the one moment the movie breaks with reality. It's the right moment. Yeah. God, this is a, this is a great movie. Yeah. I, this is, this is one I have to own. (laughs) Yeah. This is one that I, and I I do too. This is one that's going to sit with me for a very long time. Uh, when when I got my tablet, one of the first things I did was download the script mm. because I wanted to study it. Um, 
Nice. That 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 reviewer is just so wrong about every. This is a movie of details. It's a movie of experience. Mm-hmm. The score is really beautiful. I want you to book in this with segments from the score because the mm. the score is just it's gorgeous. It it's evocative. Mm-hmm. Everything about this movie is just experienced, and that's what I love about it. Is we're taken into this story, this world, this life. And we feel it and we belong in it and we, we sit in it. I don't know. I, I don't know what else to say. Yeah, it's, 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 it's beautiful. I, this is just, this is, this is a, this is just a great movie. The Oscars got it right. This, and, and I really do think that it comes down to why did this movie win best picture? Because this was the one that made them feel something. It's not a technical film, though it is amazing on a technical level. Sorry, J.J. Abrams, this is how you use a lens flare. Yeah, this is really how you use a lens flare. Especially because you get the feeling the lens flares in this movie were really authentic. Because yeah. they were working with a low budget. You know, Abrams has, he's working with, uh, so that he doesn't have to get them in there. Right. God, this is... By the way, the poster of this movie is just gorgeous, too. Oh, it is. With the three faces composited. Yeah, it's... It's, it's striking. It's striking. If you really, like, look at it and study it, it's cohesive. Like, it, it doesn't look like, you know, three faces, but, like, fragmented. It looks like they blend right into each other. And, and, and that's a mark of the great casting that went into casting the three versions. Seriously, all three actors do such a great job. Um, it's easiest to judge what Rhodes will have ahead of him as the adult version, which seriously, this guy just needs to be in everything. Now, he needs to be working more because he's he's the real deal. He's very charismatic. He's very magnetic. Um, Ali is already getting a lot of work out of this. I he needs to be in everything. I wasn't very high on Luke Cage. I wanted to be. That's one of the big disappointments for me. That's but what he, I've heard. But he's so good on it. He's amazing. And I think that the show killing him off halfway through was a big mistake. Big mistake. I don't know. He's he's on another level. Um, as I said, all the performances are great. This is just God. This is just such a great movie. And I. I'm not trying to engage in hyperbole. It's just that this is a movie that really affected me. You know what this movie reminded me more than maybe any other movie that I've ever seen? Lost in Translation. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You could watch these two movies back to back, and they have the same effect on you, which is a feeling of just liking being in these worlds. Yeah. Being being in the moment, uh, being just getting lost in atmosphere really focusing on characters especially you know in that moment that's what this movie does and it does it so well i i cannot recommend this movie enough i i really can't um it's now widely available you can get your hands on it real easily so we both uh returned our uh, respective copies to Redbox rather quickly after we watched them uh, just to get mostly, it in yeah just to get in circulation and get someone else to watch it. This is one that you need to see. This, this, 
I haven't seen enough movies of 2016 to say that I could do a best of list because I was a little busy that year. Looks down at what's sleeping at his side. <laughs> Love you, Lola. She's here. Aww. Did you hear that? <laughs> I heard that. She's snoring. Good baby, good daughter. I love her so much. But I, but this is, but I, st- I have a hard time believing that that there was anything that year that I would have liked more. Because this is because for this movie to evoke Lost in Translation, which I often put in like my number two or number three favorite movie slot of all time, mm-hmm. that says it all, doesn't it? Yeah. Jeez. God, this is this is this is this is on that tier. So. Anything else you want to add about the movie? Mm. It must be seen to be. Uh, it must be seen and felt to be believed. It is mm. wonderful. It is. So, we want to thank our patrons: Sheila, Daisy, Barack, Bridget, Nathan, or and uh, of course my sweet Amanda. Thank y'all so much. Your support is always welcome. Guys, I want to stress, I'm trying to do things to get the Patreon going. Um, I, uh, I'm trying to give you all content. Um, if you'll request things for me to do, if you're a patron, guys, I'll do them. I, I really will. We, we will do what you need if you'll just ask us. That's, um, there is more Patreon-exclusive content. As of right now, there's a mini-sode on my thoughts on Foxtrot. The uh, amazing Bill Amend comic strip that I highly recommend uh, everybody listen to. Um, He's a local. He is a local. He is a local. Um, God, I love... <laughs> yes, he is a local to you. Hey, Jeff yeah. Nichols is a local to me. So, you know. nice. Did you, you saw that he's doing a film society for Little Rock, right? No, I did not. Yes, he's he's starting a Little Rock film society. So he's giving back. So that's so so that's what we got at the Patreon. Everything else, you can find us at thefilmroom.org. God, that's so easy, isn't it? Including... It feels so good to say, too. And by the way, I want to thank everybody that's been reading uh, my uh, take on uh, the Star Wars books. Y'all, I really enjoy doing that, and it really makes me happy that everybody has responded to it so warmly. Thanks, guys. Um, Thank you all so much. Um, This is just, again, I really want to stress, let's get the asterisk removed. Forget the Oscars. Watch this movie. Experience it. You will not regret it. Yes. Yep. So I will. Until next time. Bye, everybody. Bye.